0: Hi, Smarties. Happy New Year. Both of us are very excited about what 2019 has in store for us, both personally and professionally. We have big hopes for what this podcast can do to improve the lives of listeners and are really excited to debut some new series and episodes on this podcast that we are pretty sure you are going to love. Definitely, definitely tune in next week for that. In the meantime, we think it's entirely worth it for you to re-listen to this episode that we are re-airing today. We talk about the deep connection between ADHD and executive functioning, and here is a pro tip. All learners would benefit from the information we share in this episode. So even if your child doesn't have ADHD, understanding how attention and executive functioning are linked is hugely important in a learner's academic life. Do not forget to listen until the very end to hear some of our key takeaways. Enjoy, Smarties!
1: In this episode, we will be sharing important information about ADHD and its specific relationship to executive functioning. Executive functioning is not explicitly taught in most schools, but impacts all aspects of studenting, including, but not limited to, planning, managing time, and physical things, starting and completing a task turning in assignments, note-taking, memory, studying, and managing stress.
0: In episode five, we explored how we think about executive functioning. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, please scroll back in your podcast app because it provides a good foundation for this episode. When combined with ADHD or other learning weaknesses, poor executive functioning skills really complicate how a student functions in school and in life. There are many ways to support a student who struggles with ADHD and weak executive functioning, and we are excited to share some of our favorite compensatory strategies today. Even if your child does not have ADHD, this is still an incredibly important episode for you to listen to. A lot of the tips and tricks benefit students of all shapes and sizes and learning profiles. Please don't stop listening just because your child doesn't have ADHD. This is going to be totally meaningful for you as well. Let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast.
1: Welcome, Smarties, to Episode 10 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. This episode is a part of our Executive Functioning series, and be sure to go back and listen to Episode 2, entitled How to Calendar, and Episode 5, Executive Functioning and Why Everyone is Talking About It.
0: We wrote this episode because in May of 2018, Steph and I were invited to go to a parent support group and talk about the intersection of ADHD and executive functioning. It was a really fun night for us as we got to talk to a room full of parents about all the things we wish all parents knew about the intersection of ADHD and executive functioning. And now we're excited to share all of this with you. In this episode, we give explanations, definitions, our perspective, and of course, some tips to make things easier. Steph, do you want to go ahead and define ADHD?
1: So we like to use the definition by Dr. Thomas Brown for the definition of ADHD. This is his proper definition. I want to give this just as a background. Dr. Thomas Brown defines it as a complex syndrome of developmental impairments of executive functions, the self-management system of the brain, a system of mostly unconscious operations. These impairments are situationally variable, chronic, and significantly interfere with functioning, in many aspects of the person's daily life. But what would you say, Rach, is your shorter definition?
0: So we talk about this in episode five, but I'll repeat it in this episode, which is our definition of executive functioning is the ability to plan, implement, and do your life. I work a lot with students with ADHD in my practice, and there is this education piece that happens with families because there's a little bit of a misunderstanding about what ADHD is and what it isn't. And so let us take this opportunity, Steph, to talk to parents about ADD versus ADHD.
1: I was going to say, you'll hear a lot of people use it interchangeably. Right. And so I have some parents that call and say, my kid has ADD but doesn't have ADHD. And this is where we want to clear it up, because you will hear them used interchangeably. But according to the DSM-5, it's no longer just ADD. ADD doesn't exist anymore. Right. It's all considered ADHD. And within ADHD, there are three subtypes. The first one is the H that you're hearing, hyperactivity. So that's the kids that are in the classroom that are... Bouncing around and can't sit still.
0: This is kind of the very classic what you imagine ADHD to be. And then the second type is the inattentive type. This is still classified as ADHD inattentive type. And that's the student who's more of a daydreamer. They're not a behavioral problem in the classroom. They are disorganized in their own brain and their own thinking. The way it really presents in the classroom is the daydreamer, the student who's just not on task. But their body isn't all
1: over the place. Right, Steph? Right. Their body is on task. Their body is on task. (laughs) The final subtype is combined type. So this is both hyperactivity and inattentive.
0: That's when things get really fun.
1: Yeah, for sure. So classically, I just want to add in that a lot of girls – That are misdiagnosed or not diagnosed are the inattentive ADHD. Absolutely. Those are the ones that usually get missed or the ones where I have parents call and say, my kid is not causing a problem in the classroom, so it got missed. Totally.
0: I would argue that a lot of the parents who call with a new diagnosis of ADHD inattentive type have been suspicious for a really long time. But most of the time, because they're not a behavioral problem in the classroom and because if they're bright, they can compensate for their inattentivity by just how quickly they grasp concepts. It gets ignored for a really long time.
1: And I want to add that the inattentive type doesn't mean that they can't pay attention. Right. At all. There's a lot of times where I'll hear parents say, but my kid can pay attention for hours on this or this or this. Something of high interest. Yeah, exactly. It's something of high interest or something that definitely comes easy to them. Right. That they're able to focus. So don't misunderstand when we say inattentive because it can show up. With ADHD, things are predictably unpredictable.
0: Totally. We talk about these students kind of being consistently inconsistent as well. Right, Jeff? Yeah. The other thing we wanted to share about ADHD is that it is not a learning disability. It is absolutely a medical diagnosis. Now – this comes into play when you're trying to get an IEP, an individualized education plan in the public school system, because it's not a learning disability, but it does interfere with a student's ability to function in the classroom. So here in California, this becomes kind of tricky because students have to be rather far behind, and I will add this is in LAUSD, students have to be really far behind grade level-wise in order to get any sort of supports. And the ADHD diagnosis is not going to necessarily guarantee them an IEP or a 504 plan. This also brings us to medication. Steph and I just kind of wanted to say this early on in the episode, which is we don't get involved in the conversation about medication beyond the following. It is a family decision. It is a medical decision. And Steph, you have a really great metaphor because we have both seen meds do unbelievable things for students. It's not a simple process to get a student on medication for ADHD because it's not a, like, this is how tall you are, this is how much you weigh type of medicine. So Steph, can you talk a little bit about your glasses metaphor? Because I love when you remind me of
1: this. So the glasses metaphor is something I learned when we were in school. And I think it's important to note because a lot of parents, if they're choosing not to go on medication, it could be because they want their children to learn how to do things and they feel like the medication is going to make everything easy. And that's not exactly how it works, which is where this glasses metaphor comes in. Right. So imagine that you wear glasses, you're in bed at night, it's dark. So before you have to do anything, you're looking for your glasses on your nightstand. And it's dark and you can't see where they are because it's dark. Not just because you can't see, but because it's dark.
0: Hey, Steph, is it dark?
1: Yeah. Guess what? It's dark. (laughs) But then you put your glasses on and guess what? What? That's like the light in the room. Then it's not dark. (laughs) So the glasses are the light in the room. How much easier is it to find your glasses when the light is on in the room versus it being dark? You still have to do the work. You still have to go find your glasses, but it's a lot easier when the light's on.
0: Absolutely. The ADHD meds are not going to teach your kid to put their homework in their backpack and turn their homework in the next day. That's where educational therapy comes in and compensatory strategies come in. But it will help your kid sometimes, depending on what's going on, remember to remember to put their stuff in their backpack, right? Remember to remember. Yep. Something that's really important to Steph and I that we also wanted to say in this episode is about who you go to when treating ADHD. So if your family is choosing to medicate, we want to make sure that it really shouldn't be the pediatrician. Thomas Brown says that pediatricians typically only get 15 minutes of training in medical school on ADHD. That's it. There are psychiatrists who are highly specialized and highly skilled in ADHD. Oftentimes, like I've said, it's not the straight and narrow path. You have to try a little bit of this. You have to try a little bit of that. You need to be watching for side effects from the medication. Is your child sleeping at night? Is the medication sustaining them throughout the day? Are they still eating? These are all potential side effects of the meds. And you want to be working with a professional who is going to take the time, but more importantly, has the background and training to finely tune this med for your child. Steph, would you agree?
1: Yeah. So besides a psychiatrist, you can also, because some of them are not in network, we both get a lot of people asking for who is in our network for insurance. The other option is a developmental pediatrician who specializes in ADHD. So that's a pediatrician, but who has extensive knowledge in ADHD. So we just wanted to throw out there that even if your pediatrician is the one that has diagnosed your child with ADHD.
0: Which we have mixed feelings about in general.
1: Yes. That might not be the right person to do the medication. So please keep that in mind. Even though you might have a great pediatrician who you trust implicitly. Your pediatrician might not have all the information, all the latest training, in all things ADHD. It's
0: just like you're not going to go to your pediatrician to get a prescription for glasses, right? Right. You just want to go to who the specialist is. A lot of pediatricians are wonderful and conservative in their approach to medication, but they're not experts in partnering on this specific type of drug. This is not like antibiotics. And you can find the right cocktail of meds that work for your student, the right booster at the end of the day, however you want to do it. But then six months later or a year later, they grow, their hormones change, and guess what? We have to kind of do it all again. And you just want someone who's trained and knows what to tell you to expect. ADHD really shows up in all the academic domains. So we're going to talk about what's typical of a student with ADHD when it comes to writing, when it comes to math, when it comes to reading. And when it comes to writing, this is the ultimate executive functioning exercise. With writing, you have to know what you want to say. You have to know what order you want to say it in. You have to attend to the conventions of writing, so punctuation, spelling, grammar. And for those of us without ADHD, these things can all happen rather fluidly. And writing is a difficult task for a lot of people, even if you don't have ADHD, because it does demand so much out of you. And plus, there's that blank page anxiety of you're looking, if you're on a word processor, you're looking at the page and there's like that blinking dot looking at you. And it's your job to fill the page with something. That's really, really challenging for all students. And when it's combined with ADHD, these kids don't even know how to start. It is very common for a parent to report that their student knows so much about a particular topic that if you would talk to them, they could talk for an hour on a particular topic. But then when it comes to writing, they only write three or four sentences. This is very common of a student with ADHD. So, Steph, what are some of your ideas about note-taking or composing an essay when it comes to students with ADHD and executive functioning?
1: So I think there's a couple of things that you need to take into account. Number one, is your child actually physically writing? Because that could be the biggest part of the problem. 100%. So if they're not actually physically writing, let's say they're typing, that could also be part of the problem. Yep. One of the things that you can do is use speech to text. And that is a great way to help them be able to get their ideas out or even just start with an outline or start saying things that are coming to mind, and then you can help change it around. They can work with it once they've had something on the paper.
0: This is You'll hear us say this a lot, which is just put something down. So Steph and I are also huge advocates, and I know we both do this in session. When a student has a paper, it actually doesn't matter who's doing the typing because we love speech to text. There's some issues with it. You really have to have strong editing skills because the computer doesn't know exactly what you're thinking when you're talking into it and can't really tell where a comma should be or if something should be capitalized necessarily. So one of the things that Steph and I will often do is we won't even have the student look at the screen and we're both excellent typists. And so we'll say, okay, just start talking to us about this
1: topic. Yep. I do it all the time stream
0: of conscious it and just let the student talk for as long as they can talk. And then suddenly there's no more of that blank page anxiety because there's all these things already on the page. At that point, and we're going to have an episode that digs deeper into writing and how to make writing easier for students. We are huge fans of graphic organizers to help... Yes, that's what I was going to say. To help these students organize their thoughts once their thoughts are out of their body. And that's literally how I talk about it is you have all these thoughts in your body. I don't care the order that they come out because our kids can talk faster than they can type. And they certainly are talking and thinking faster than they can write. So remove the burden of the typing of the physical act of writing. And it's still their ideas. Now, parents... Be very careful to not edit. I don't put periods in when students are talking to me like this. I don't capitalize anything because they need to understand the conventions of writing, which all come secondary to getting their ideas out. What would you add?
1: A graphic organizer, some of you might not know what that is. So there's definitely different ways to do it. But basically, on a piece of paper, there's different ways to list out your ideas in either a Venn diagram or listed out. There's books and books and you can find them online also just by Googling graphic organizers, but there's so many different ways to use thought bubbles and mind mapping and these kinds of things in order to get your ideas out. The
0: fastest way in what I do in session is teaching my student how to Google for a graphic organizer once they've gotten their thoughts out. So if we're doing a book report, perfect. Take their grade Put in book report, put in graphic organizer, have at it because there's a million out there that are free and downloadable and you can print them and do whatever you want or even just use them as a guide for creating within your document its own structure.
1: The other big thing when composing an essay, this is primarily for older kids too, is that there are so many teachers that you have to write things in a certain order. Oh, preach stuff. Good call. The thesis has to come first, and you have to know exactly what you're going to talk about. So many kids with ADHD, this is just unreasonable for them. Absolutely. So when they come into my office and we're working on an essay, I sit there and say, let's just talk about what you want to talk about. Absolutely. Let's write the body paragraphs first, Mm -hmm. and then you can write the intro. And I have a lot of kids that feel a little rigid about it. No, my teacher wants this. Right. Or, oh, we only need to start with a thesis. But I remind them, how much better will it feel if you already have the body paragraphs written? You know what you've said at that point. Exactly. And it's already done. So the next assignment is going to be write the body paragraphs, but you've already done it. I couldn't agree more. So this is really, really important to know that it doesn't have to go in this order.
0: It doesn't have to be linear because our kids aren't linear thinkers
1: in this way. It's so hard. And I have kids that will sit there and say, I don't know how to write a thesis. I don't know what the thesis should be. Or they just get so tripped up. It's making everything else harder. Absolutely. So take a step back. And that's not the most important thing, right? And really... Although some teachers get really bogged down on what a thesis should be and that's how they grade, really it's about the process. So let's help them figure out what process works best for them and to be able to get their thoughts out. That's far more important to me than having the perfect thesis as a middle schooler in particular.
0: And the perfect thesis will become obvious to them as they're
1: writing. And as they get older and as they mature as writers. Totally. I couldn't agree more with that stuff. So the next area that really shows up with ADHD and executive functioning is math. And the things that really tend to show up most are things like skipping steps, skipping problems. Mental math. Mental math. Understanding concepts but having no structure For keeping it organized. So this is doing it all over the paper and just wait until Mm -hmm. the next episode when Rachel tells us some tips and tricks about how to do math. And we need to teach them how to do step-by-step. So, Rach, do you want to give us a little more information? Yeah,
0: um, because I work a lot with students with ADHD and math issues. And what I will say is that their ADHD comes in handy in math, but it also creates some issues. The first thing that's super typical of a student with ADHD when it comes to math is that, and this is something that I'll talk about in next week's episode, which we have lovingly titled math is a four-letter word. We're pretty (laughs) proud of that title, (laughs) is that when you look at the actual page where their student is doing the math homework. And it should be on graph paper. Always should be on graph paper. It never is. The student who hasn't worked with me has math written on every blank spot on that page. We have taught our kids not to waste paper, and believe me, they have internalized it. It does not serve them to have every tiny little corner of the page taken up with numbers. Teachers can't decode it, and better yet, they can't figure out what they did. It's not obvious where answers are. So the first thing that I do with a student in math is I – transition them out of lined paper, and even worse, some kids use just blank paper, which does nothing to help them at all, and all my students use graph paper. Another really fast tip, and this is something that I talk about in next week's episode, is to fold the papers into ace or fourths so that students can only, only put one problem in each square. You're going to get resistance on this, but it will reduce the amount of mistakes that they're making. And students really need to be shown side by side with an adult because they don't understand what we're telling them when we're saying, show all your work. And that is something that teachers routinely tell them. And genuinely, if it's not modeled in the classroom, and for students with ADHD, if it's not modeled on the page how you want it to look, they have no idea. So when a student is new with me, And I'm saying to them all these rules of math that I have, use graph paper, fold the page. I do a side-by-side and I say, okay, this is how it should look on the page. I always skip lines in between each step because it's a natural organizer. And suddenly everything kind of clicks in because they were doing three or four steps simultaneously in their brain, which by the way, it's a problem and it's great because students with ADHD tend to be really good at math. But it's not translating on the page because of all these other things interfering. And so they're actually really great at fast math. They're really great at computation. They kind of understand conceptually the majority of the time as well. But their grades aren't reflecting it because their work is such a disaster. We literally need to teach these kids what step-by-step actually means. Be sure to listen to next week's episode, (laughs) Math is a Four-Letter
1: Word, as I really go deep. That you do. All right, reading. Just to throw this out there, reading is usually the first thing that you guys have seen as parents with ADHD, right? And the last thing that we always tell parents also to remember is writing is the last thing to develop. And I don't think we mentioned that before. So, But let's go back to reading because it's the first thing that shows up. Reading comprehension, okay? This is the biggest thing that can suffer with kids that are struggling with All the different things that go on with reading. So it's not that they're struggling with decoding or being able to sound out the words or say the words. It's being able to take in the information and have an understanding of the deeper level meaning. And these are things with having to do with inferencing and being able to give a main idea. All of those things are very hard. And you have to think about all the different things they're trying to do simultaneously. So there are two major components of reading. There's decoding, which is sounding things out. It's breaking down the letters into meaningful language. The other is the reading comprehension, which was the inferences that, for instance, get missed and the deeper critical thinking that suffers and then goes back into when they do have to write something, they might not have anything to write about because they might not know what was going on, honestly.
0: It's actually fairly common for you to get a student who's suffering with, like, slow decoding, which is for parents who are observing their kids at home. It's when it takes a really, really long time for your students to, like, read a sentence. But their reading comprehension is great, and they totally understand everything that's happening. And on the flip side, there are students who have no issue decoding. They're reading fluidly, they're reading with expression and pacing, but yet you ask them the W questions, who, what, when, where, what happened in the story, and they have no idea. I really see that with the older kids, really third grade and on, who haven't solidified Mm -hmm. that reading comprehension skill.
1: Yeah, and those are the kids that trick their teachers. Because I've had conversations with teachers where they've said to me, oh, Johnny knows exactly what's going on Mm -hmm. in this story and I say "Mm, if you ask anything other than a simple question it's gotten lost in translation it's not there and they're not catching it and the teacher has no idea it's not their fault that they don't know because they have a lot of kids they have a lot of kids and it's tricky and it sounds like they know
0: and what I'll say is Just like we've recorded Math is a Four-Letter Word, which is next week's episode, episode 12 is called My Kid Isn't Reading. And Steph, you gave a lot of wonderful tips and tricks in that episode. And I learned a ton from you about how to support different kids in their reading. And yeah, we have also recorded that one out of order. (laughs) (laughs) So stay tuned for that. One thing that I wanted to add about this episode – And I think it's meaningful to say it, and we will absolutely say it again, is that reading and writing are not inverse functions of each other.
1: Yes. So
0: even if your kid is a wonderful reader, it has no bearing on their ability to write. And if your kid is an amazing writer, it has no bearing on their ability to read. Reading is all about taking in information, and writing is all about getting information out, and one has no bearing on the other, and they're two very, very different skills. Steph, what would you
1: add about that? Just remember that the writing is the last thing to develop, like I said before, because- There are parents that feel they should be able to write more than they can. But really, here's the question I want you to ask yourself. Can your child say something that they're interested in? Can they give you a paragraph or explain something in sequence verbally? If your child is able to do these things verbally, then your child will get there. It's more of a concern if they can't do it verbally. It's just about teaching them how to do that. Versus your brain all the way down to your hand, that information has to travel a lot further. So if your child, I always ask parents when they're really concerned about writing, would your child be able to tell me a story or give me a paragraph about something? And most of the time, the children are able to do it. And so just know that it will get there.
0: I will also add that writing is of utmost importance to me, that I want my kids in my practice knowing how to be able to put an email together. I want them knowing how to put a paragraph together independently, because those are the type of skills that really, really, truly matter. So we spend a lot of time working on writing with students, and it's not even just students with ADHD. Truthfully... When we do an episode on writing, which we have not done yet, but we will, all these things that we talk about when it comes to writing, write out of order, talk out loud, have somebody else type your ideas down, would benefit all students. And it really benefits students with ADHD who need compensatory strategy because writing is intrinsically linked with executive functioning. So if you have ADHD and therefore poor executive functioning, of course writing is going to be challenging. Steph, do you want to talk a little bit about how students with ADHD and therefore poor executive functioning function in an academic environment? Like, what are some of the typical things that we're kind of used to? <laughs> the things with that come with ADHD? up all
1: the time with students that have ADHD. And you are going to be all very familiar with the things that I'm about to say. It's knowing there's an assignment. It's maybe that they've done the assignment, but they haven't. Turned it in.
0: This is a huge trigger for parents because parents really don't understand why if you've done the assignment,
1: why didn't you turn it in? (laughs) Yes. It happens all the time. Typical. It's hard to remember sometimes to turn it in. So not knowing when the test is. Yep. Or what the test is on sometimes. Never knowing where your notes are. Right. Or not even taking notes or just drawing inside your – on your note page. I have that a lot. Right. Right. Doodling, Yeah, and it might be that these things show up differently in a preferred class versus a non-preferred class. So if your child really hates history, it might be that those are showing up there, but he's perfectly fine doing things in math. This is
0: also a huge trigger for parents because they're like, my kid is falling apart in history, for example, but is getting 100% in math. And there's this huge disconnect amongst classes. But the classes actually have different demands on the student. And we will all note that when a student likes doing something and it comes easier to them, they're able to follow through easier. And what I always like to tell parents when they have this kind of specific scenario is that this is a wonderful thing because it shows us that your child has the ability to do it, and we just need to transfer Mm -hmm, those skills mm -hmm. across the board. Also,
1: you might see backpacks. Backpack explosion. Stay tuned for an episode about a backpack explosion.
0: I was (laughs) going to say this is another
1: trigger for parents because we are
0: going to do an episode about backpacks as it gets closer to back to school but I cannot tell you how many times parents say to me I have no idea why their backpack looks the way it does I don't know what's in there gnarly we have found some (laughs) because I go through back gnarly things in the backpack like beyond understanding of how this kid is carrying this around and they will carry it around for six months because they don't go through it so that's a that's another episode for another time but we wanted to bring it up now because it's fairly typical for us to be seeing that
1: Things like notebooks or what I call floating papers. Don't worry. We're going to talk about school supplies in another episode. And you're going to want to listen to that so that we can make sure to minimize a lot of those things that are going on with your child.
0: Parents have fabulous instincts when it comes to like, I'm going to support my kid by giving them a ton of stuff. And Steph and I do not advocate for that at all.
1: No, 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 no. Definitely not. And the last thing is how to calendar. We can't say it enough. Go back and listen to episode two if you have any questions or want to learn some new tips. How to calendar and calendaring for your student is going to make a huge difference in their lives. And it's going to teach them how to adult. Totally.
0: One of the things we want to be mindful of with students with ADHD and executive functioning challenges is that we do not want to become the people doing all the executive functioning no. for your child. I'm going to repeat that again. We don't want parents doing all the executive functioning for your child, and we as the educational therapist, do not want to be doing all the executive functioning for your child. No. We yeah. want to make it reasonable. We want to support these students and meet them where they are and give them achievable Goals. I don't know if I've said this on another episode or not. You're looking at the staircase and you're at the bottom of the stairs and the top of the stairs being my kid always knows where everything is and when everything is. And there are a million steps in between getting from everything is totally disorganized and my kid has no idea where or when anything is. But we want to be mindful about not doing it all for them. And we want to be mindful about using this language with them. So, for example, you may need to sit down with them and help them put things into their calendar. This is teachable. And after all, you're not going to be going to college with them and texting them and telling them what time they have to go to bed at night Mm -hmm. because they have class the next morning. College students don't want that kind of hand-holding, and parents want to be out of it. But if we don't teach them along the way, That is what's going to happen.
1: Teaching them is not doing it for them. Right. And I think that is a big thing that happens because we know that your life is hard as parents. And there's so many things that you have to be in charge of, etc. But you can't just do it for them and expect them to learn by osmosis. You have to teach them. So even though it makes your day even harder, it'll be worth it in the end. Going along with the calendar – It's really important to be as upfront and transparent about their schedule as you can. So just like we said in the episode, they should have the different calendars and different colors so that they have their full schedule just like you do. You want to
0: encourage them to always have a friend that they can text that will know the assignment so everybody knows who that excellent executive (laughs) functioning student is. And by the way, the kids who are good at executive functioning are good at school. It really has nothing to do with intelligence. It's about how they're approaching everything. Steph, wouldn't you agree?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And you know what? There's no shame in leaning on a friend a little bit. And you know what? They're happy to help, I bet.
0: I definitely have had students who have exhausted a friend and the friend was just completely over helping. Which is fair. Totally fair. But. It's another thing that you can add in that will be supportive, it's social, and it teaches your kids some compensatory strategies. The other thing that I'll add going back to not doing all the executive functioning for your kid, this does mean sometimes things are going to fall through the cracks. And you kind of want things to fall through the cracks for these kids a little bit within Mm -hmm. reason. Because then... They will learn, and that's an opportunity for you to teach them. We always talk about how we would much rather these kids fail in the home rather than go to college and not be able to manage it. It's the reason why a lot of kids fail to launch into Mm -hmm. adulthood is because their executive functioning skills are weak. That's why we really advocate for letting your kid try to do as much of their own executive functioning as they can. And if you have questions about how to break this down into manageable goals for your child and reasonable goals, book a strategy session with us so we can really dig deep and say, you know, your goal is too lofty at this point. They're not going to be able to do it. Or your goal is totally reasonable.
1: And here are the steps to achieve that. And the next thing is don't forget to communicate with teachers. Absolutely. That is if you have a younger student, you can communicate with the teacher. And as they get older... Have them communicate with their teachers. I can't say that and stress that enough. It is such a learning lesson for the kids if they have to be the one to email their teacher and ask about an assignment or something rather than it coming from you. A lot of parents tend to email the teachers that are in for high school students. And I know of some teachers that just won't respond because they don't want to respond to parents.
0: I agree. I think this transition tends to happen in middle school. I think it's totally reasonable for a parent to be advocating for their kid in elementary school. But really, once they get to middle school and high school, the email should be coming from the kid. And I have had parents who have had their child's email, and then they follow up with an email themselves. And that's a nice transitional way of kind of removing yourself Because that way the teacher has kind of the background information of what happened at home. We want
1: these kids doing it for themselves. Yes, it's important.
0: Another really important thing to keep in mind and another way that you can support executive functioning for your student with ADHD or not is to help your child pack up everything the night before and put it by the door. You can create a list together and have them check it off. Or if you have a younger student, use pictures so that they are starting to build this skill and this habit and this muscle of making sure they're ready to walk out the door the next morning. You might need to reward this if this is something that your child is going to consider an extra because you're starting it and they're a little bit older. We don't necessarily believe in rewarding kids for what they should be doing, but if this is a goal, And they aren't doing it yet. Yeah, Steph, we're good with bribing kids, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Incentivize them. Incentivize.
1: The other thing that you should do is hold firm boundaries. This is going to be controversial. Yes, it is. But if there is late night studying, for instance, and it's not something that you want in your home, or your child is staying up late night and keeping everybody else up while they're bouncing a basketball while they're studying – This is where you need to have those boundaries. If you want homework to be done by a certain time of day, then once that time hits, homework is done, even if the actual physical homework hasn't been completed yet.
0: This is a great opportunity to teach your kids some consequences as well. And this is a great opportunity for a parent of a student in elementary school to email the teacher and say, look, the homework didn't get done because... We're trying to institute some boundaries, and I actually think teachers will respect it and understand what happened. It also holds kids accountable in the classroom when they have to meet their teachers afterwards. With a middle school and high school student, you have to be able to tolerate this as a parent. You have to be able to tolerate the fact that your child
1: didn't get an assignment in because you're instituting boundaries. A last really great strategy is setting alarms. And you can set alarms with Your iPhone, you can get a kitchen timer, you can get a baking timer that has multiple timers on it. We love those. Yes, we do. And you can use those for getting ready in the morning, for homework time, for things like remembering your cleats and shin guards for soccer. But remember, pick one goal at a time and focus on that. You can't do everything at once, it won't work, and you'll end up feeling frustrated, and you'll end up feeling like nothing can happen, and you'll feel like you're never gonna get through this. Make sure that you really decide what's important to tackle first.
0: I think when we release these episodes, we talk to parents of students with ADHD or students who are struggling with executive functioning. They want everything to shift
1: immediately. Yes. And it can't. This is like the whole growth mindset. When you're born, do you know how to walk? Right. No. You have to learn how to take steps and fall along the way. And it's important to note that you can't have everything all of a sudden. If your child is struggling, it's not because they are trying to make your life more difficult. No. So you need to prioritize where you're going to start and what you're going to work on and then build from there. And that is going to be the most successful way to help your child.
0: We always say... To parents, when parents come in and they have a bunch of goals and they say, we want reading comprehension to be stronger. We want them to pack up their own backpack at the end of the night. We want them to turn in all homework assignments. We want them to know when all homework is due. These are all incredibly long-term goals. They're good goals and they're reasonable for the adult that we want these kids to turn into, but it's not achievable all at once. So I will say to parents, what's the thing that's bugging you the most? And so I will challenge parents right now who are listening to this and say, what's the thing that's bugging you the most? And develop a plan for that. Yeah. We always say success will breed success. Right, Steph?
1: Yeah. Success does breed success. So start there. Start small. Let it be achievable. And then when your student can see that they can do all these things that you're helping them achieve, they're going to want to achieve more. Well, it is incredible for us to go
0: back and listen to our own episodes. I will admit, once I record, I do not (laughs) re-listen. Right, Steph?
1: Yep, that's my job.
0: Yep. And so the episode gets recorded. We shift it off to our wonderful editor. Hi, Pierce. Hi, Pierce. And basically, Steph and Pierce take it from there. So I am not used to or accustomed to listening to our content after it's out there, which is why when I run into people, quote unquote, in real life and they mention something that happened in an episode, to me it's just a conversation. You and I had it at a certain point. I'm like, did I say that? <laughs> By the way, I did tell Adam that. I did tell my husband that. His response was, now you know how the actors at a Star Trek convention feel. And I was like, What? <laughs> Because apparently Star Trek fans will just quote episodes of them and they have like no memory of it. I say this as I'm sitting here in the Star Trek robe he gave me for the holidays, which is everything I really ever wanted. So amazing! I asked for a robe and I received a Star Trek one, but I'm living in it. (laughs) I'm here for it. So Steph, what were
1: your big takeaways from this episode? So I really love how we were talking about writing the essay out of order. Whenever I start with a new client that hasn't been working with me on an essay before or we're just Getting to that with a client who's been seeing me for a while. And when I tell them, let's not write it in the order, half of them look at me like, oh, that never occurred to me. And the other half look at me like, I feel like I'm going to get in trouble if I do that. I'm not allowed to do that. Yep. But really, there's no reason not to. So, unless your student is just a natural writer and everything is very easy, like I don't mess with those kids where it's just easy and they have their flow. That's fine. But for the majority of people... Am I one of those kids? Yeah, I would just let you do your thing. Yeah. But for the majority, the rest of the kids, kids like me, writing it out of order makes it so much easier. This is also teaching them to question how order isn't necessarily something that has to be the same every time. And just because Mm -hmm. they learned it that way doesn't mean that that's the only way to do things. So sometimes a little thinking outside the box to make life easier, is going to change so many different things for them. I think my big takeaway from this episode
0: is a little bit more global, which is just how much executive functioning permeates everything. Yeah. There is no part or aspect of my life that is not impacted by my own ability to, quote unquote, do executive functioning. And so that is one of the reasons why in the beginning of this episode, we said, even if your learner doesn't have ADHD, Mm -hmm. this episode is really important and meaningful because it shows the deep and profound connection between attention and executive functioning. And that is how we execute everything in our lives. So for me, I know this was probably something that was always a strength of mine. Yeah. My ability to EF, if you will. Yeah. And likely why we're such a good pair, too. Agreed. Because I rely on your EF. Yeah. And you know you can rely on mine.
1: Yeah. But I also think it's important to note that even though we both are solid with executive functioning, that you can't be good at everything. So we have our weaknesses within that. And so taking out the ADHD element and you have a quote unquote neurotypical kid or you yourself, whether or not you have ADHD or not, not everything on the list is going to be a strength. So remember that and hone in on how you can use your strengths in the other areas of EF to help you with the things that are a struggle for you. Yeah. And also modeling that. I love when I
0: make a mistake in front of one of my clients. For me, that's perfectly acceptable because they get to see how I rebound and respond. Oh, yeah. Makes them feel normal. Yeah. Because truly, it's exactly what you said. Exactly what you said. Not every element of EF is a strength, but I'm able to compensate for those Mm -hmm. that aren't. And your strengths often compensate for where I lack.
1: Yeah, and that's why we're a good pair, for sure. Well, Smarties, we hope you
0: are having a fantastic new year. And we're excited to bring you some amazing new content in 2019. And hope that it's a wonderful year for
1: you and your family and the learners in your life. Also, would you consider sharing this podcast with a friend, another parent, or a learner you think will benefit from listening to this episode? The mission of the Learn Smarter Podcast is to empower struggling learners. It would mean so much to us and such an endorsement of the work we're doing if you could share the Learn Smarter Podcast with the people you know and love. Have a happy, healthy, wonderful New Year, Smarties. Happy New Year, Smarties. We'll see you next week.
0: We'll see you next year. (laughs) Well, we're recording this in 2018.
1: (laughs) (laughs) See you later, Smarties. (laughs) Bye.